0: We're back. Pressing Matters podcast time. We've been away for a few weeks. It's summertime. It's really hot. 70% humidity now. Summer is upon us. There's transfers. There's end of season reviews. Toby's been away for for three weeks. uh, And I've I've not been doing anything. Uh, I'm Sam, by the way. (laughs) Toby, how are you? It's been ages.
1: Hello, Sam. Yeah, it's been... It's been about three weeks. The dust has settled on the on the season. I was away travelling uh, and missed the last game. Missed a bit of a thriller, well, for Liverpool-Southampton. That's what I would have been watching, uh, because I'm stupid. But, um, yeah, the dust settles on a, on another Premier League season. And uh, we get a little bit of a, a brief footballing break. But just as you think you've got that break, uh, Gareth Southgate creeps up and gives Trent the number 10 shirt against Malta, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, well, okay, this is news to me. I did watch England. But yeah, l- like you say, there's uh, it is a bit of a breather, which is nice. But at the same time, there's like all these transfer rumours coming in. Every day, there's something new on Twitter. Um, do, do you want to talk about this again? <laughs> no, not. <laughs> <laughs> Fabrizio Romano, yeah. Every day... Working
1: out a different way to write the same tweet he <laughs> wrote yesterday, um, just so he can get his clicks and and his Twitter likes, um, his interactions up. But hey,
0: can't knock it. Fair enough. Whatever. Um, We're getting some shade here already. That's an early shade. Uh, okay. Well, um, the season is well. The season is over and done with. We've had a bit of uh, breathing room to take it all in. Uh, Obviously, Manchester City have won the treble, Premier League, uh, FA Cup, and Champions League. Um, So, I guess that is the the big story of the season. Um, How are we feeling about City's treble?
1: Yeah, I mean, we watched a... We witnessed a treble-winning season. Funny that after the end of... What feels like the longest season in the history of the Premier League, with the World Cup halfway through it, um, I'm just thinking back at the video of Conte and Tuchel shaking hands. Um, I'm thinking yeah. about how that's still still this season. Um, almost maybe fitting that at the end of it all, Man City walk away the inevitables with a, with a treble... A treble-winning season. Pretty devastated. They won the Champions League, but also that devastation lasted about I don't know forty-five minutes after the full-time whistle. Um, and then I was pretty much fine, <laughs> and didn't really think about it again. Actually, I fell over. I fell over yeah. a fence on the way home, and from that point onwards, I didn't. I haven't really thought about the fact that Cham- uh, Man City are Champions League winners since. I'm fine.
0: <laughs> uh, which, which European city did you? I watch was in
1: see?
0: Prague, uh, famous for the Champions Prague. League final.
1: So just missed all of the West Ham and uh, Fiorentina fans scrapping it out or whatever. No, that's um, probably for the best. I did ask a, a waiter what it was like, and he said it was all fine. He said there was a little bit of trouble like round the corner, but it was. In, in on the whole, it was, it was absolutely fine. He said that he had a whole uh, table of Fiorentina fans, not a whole table, like the whole of the outside terrace was all Fiorentina fans, and the whole of the inside was all West Ham fans. And he said there was no issues, so that's that's good to hear.
0: Yeah, I think actually, uh, I think most of the most of the fans are actually fine. I think I think because. I've lived in Glasgow and I've accidentally been in a pub during an old firm, and you can't actually tell if it's not like an actual sports bar like a Rangers bar or something Uh, so that's good to hear it was a weird uh, it was a weird final to to look forward to because I think most people uh, were really confident in Man City going to win it and in the end it ended up being a close game but City still won and I guess like City if city don't even perform at their potential say their potential is a 10 and they perform at an 8 like inter still have to be like at the top of their game ready to be better than city i suppose but uh yeah
1: it kind of felt like it, look it was actually quite an enjoyable game i thought um in more in like a, i was sort of pleasantly surprised but but i shouldn't be that's from my own naivety i think towards Inter Milan, because there's, there's there are quality players in that team.
0: Inter, by the way, people that people are going to be annoyed at that.
1: Sorry, yeah, people will get annoyed. Uh, Internazionale, um,
0: yeah, very good.
1: Yeah, they 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 sort of pleasantly surprised me, but I think that was more from my own sort of naivety or ignorance. Um, but it was more also just assuming that this Man City machine just doesn't really look like it has many weaknesses um, and not really being able to see past that and how a team would cause them problems. And it did just feel like Inter Milan... Uh, sorry. It did just feel like Inter were having to perform at 100% to stay level. 100% for, that, for the entire thing with their best players on the pitch, with everything going right for them and they needed a bit of luck and they weren't far away from getting it. They had a few scrappy moments in the box. They had a few chances where uh, I think Martinez looks kind of goes through, but wide instead of squaring it or trying to pull it back for Lukaku. He sort of tries to give the keeper the eyes that he's going to pull it across and then lift it over him. So they, they had, there's no doubts they had moments and they also made Man City look uncomfortable and, the most uncomfortable they've looked for a while. So I think they sort of gave me hope, but ultimately the, the Man City machine just sort of, sort of rolled on and, and dealt with it and, and um, did look pretty comfortable in the main.
0: Yeah. Cause you, you had Jack Grealish come out and say that he was terrible. rotary most people thought was pretty terrible as well. And City still like have enough to get over it. You you look at like the chances into have and uh, like that DeMarco header was really annoying to me when he like loops it, he loops it over Edison and I just want him to like knock it into the ground and make it really difficult. Um, but at the same time you have Foden with like a really clear one-on-one that he, they fluffs. So I think, uh, I think it was a really even game. I think, uh, it could have gone either way, and it was, it was nice that it wasn't just City steamrolling it after the, the, the end of the season that they've had. But, um, yeah, like I say, City winning a treble doesn't really affect me emotionally in any way uh, because it is almost like the default. It's like it's not Chelsea winning, it's not Man United winning, which would be kind of like a personal annoyance. Um. It's just like the the team that wins wins again, I guess
1: yeah I think I think you know how some city fans are sort of very adamant that there are rivalries where there kind of aren't rivalries and they, and look the to to create iconic seasons and iconic um moments, you need that sort of rivalry and and you need to be hated and things like that and and I think the problem Man City actually maybe have in terms of building a, a legacy in, in my mind as a fan is that because of the money that they've got I, I know we all know that but but when you really drill down into like rivalry it's not really the fact that there are no City fans because that's sort of the thing that gets thrown around oh well there's no City fans anyway which obviously isn't true um, but it's more actually just the thing that how can I care when you should be doing it? You have the best manager with the best team. And we, uh, there was a good article, I can't remember, I think it was with The Athletic to be honest, but there was a good article that was kind of about, because they've gone so far down this road of like financially doping basically, it's this whole Akanji thing uh, that he was fairly cheap and it's like they've gone so far down this road that you're almost being told to forget about all of the big deals that laid all of the foundations and things like that and and you just think about how much money has been pumped into transfers but also then if you if you take that and think about the resources they can put into the academy the scouting system the you know strength and conditioning and the and the, and the science behind it all to run you know, that side of the operation that doesn't even get any media attention because it's not interesting for for people to read about, really, in, in the main, for sports fans. But just how... It's, it's, it's not the fact that nobody cares about City. It's the fact that if you're a rival fan, you can't really care about City. Because if you did, your life would be so miserable <laughs> as well. Is that... I think I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there. There's a lot there's a lot we could talk about with with Man City and the sort of financial doping things, but it's like it's very hard to for it to bother you. And it's bothered me because of how close Liverpool have been. But with us sort of finishing 5th this year and not having any sniff in any of the com- competitions, it's I just sort of meh. Yeah, okay. To be honest, Man United's League Cup win probably bothers me more than their entire treble,
0: which is nuts. Well, there was a lot of uh, a lot of bigging up of it from the Man United fans at that point in the season. That was during like the peak, uh, like Rashford form, and Man United are going to uh, make a title charge kind of, kind of era on social media. Yeah, uh, they'll hold
1: their third, but they'll end up finishing above Arsenal. Even when Arsenal were top, and it was all, yeah, but Arsenal will drop away. City will win the league, and United could actually have a sniff of coming second.
0: Yeah, I think next season I should probably look at Twitter less. I think that would be a good thing for me and for this podcast. Uh, uh, But yeah, like with the Akanji thing as well, like he's... I saw someone say he's on like 180k a week, apparently. Something like that, which is like... That would be... huge that's like a top defender for arsenal level so uh, yeah so i i guess that's city season we don't really have strong feelings about it
1: what's been what's been fantastic is is the way he has adapted partway through the season so there was no pre-season break where he could work on something you know he adapted partway through the system to create a structure that is more defensively sound and means that if their attacking play breaks down sooner because they're finding that final ball to Haaland more often and it's either gonna work or it isn't gonna work. He's come up with like a new sort of structure that's that's completely um allowing that new sort of approach to to not be a weakness as well as a strength, right? That there's no there's no taking away from that from what he's done there. And then he's kicked them on to go and win the treble from that point. Um, ha- had he not got rid of Cancelo, uh, I mean, not specifically got rid of Cancelo, but moved away from this f- these full-backs and played sort of four centre-backs with stones going into midfield, had he not done that, would they have won the treble? There's a high chance that they don't, I think. Um, now, they've still got the best players and they've still got a fantastic squad and it still could have all... Um, you know, for want of a better word, I guess just clicked and they could have put together a ridiculous run. We'll never know. But there's no doubt that he, Pep Guardiola, has done something genius and very impressive. So we, it, we shouldn't take away from that, I think. And to be fair, I suppose his tactical adjustments within the season and the fact that they've gone on to win the treble for it, it does really cement I mean, if I say cement his legacy, I mean, pff, there's not much more that could be done for that anyway. But Man United were the team to win the treble, Man City go and, go and win the treble now under Pep. So there, there, there is that box that has now been ticked. Um, so I am kind of like fair play because of that, you know.
0: I think you can win the Champions League without being a great side, but you can't win three competitions, the league, the Champions League and a Cup without being a great side. And yep. uh it's pretty it's kind of refreshing for an Arsenal fan, I think, because a bit of the pressure has been taken off, to be honest, uh, with City going on to win everything after Arsenal lost lost out the league title. People aren't really talking yeah. about Arsenal in that way anymore, so uh
1: Yeah, that's yeah. true, that's true. No one's even spoken about it. since they've it's all the discourse has been around how good is this treble winning Man City team? Are they like the greatest rather than oh well Arsenal should have should have won it anyway. That's a very good point. It's, I'd not even thought about that. They yeah. will just come away from Arsenal. That probably helps you going into next season I reckon as well.
0: Since the Real Madrid result as well like that was a big turning point like for them to win so emphatically against Real Madrid who are the Champions League team. Yeah. It's uh it's a it's a scary prospect and we'll we'll see what happens next year because uh I think Arsenal will be better, but I don't see why City would be any worse, so uh So it's a tough job. If Arsenal get a second again, I think well I can't have too many complaints.
1: Well I mentioned previously there about, you know, the League Cup final and and it shouldn't have hurt and it didn't really hurt, but it gave them, United, then, the, the opportunity to build on that of a potential cut double. And it just shows that I was pretty happy that Gundawan pops up in about 13 seconds and, and scores a volley. Uh, I think it was weak foot, or the other one was weak foot, but maybe a little nod to Gundogan. Um Not going to be carrying on with Man City, it looks like. He's being released, unless they agree at very late stages something in the contract that... Um, You know, he can still sign a contract with them. He's a free agent, is he, now? But it looks like he's he's off. Um, Maybe more on that later on. But um, the FA Cup final, I watched it in Budapest, actually. um, And it was quite nice to just see them, see Man City. That was one of the few times that I was happy with City scoring so early. Because the last thing that I needed at the end of the season was a Man United Cup double, to be perfectly honest with you. United won the League Cup, but I'd be happier with them winning it than it completing Man City's quadruple. So we do have one man to bow down to and thank. And I think we might have to make a statue of his at uh, Anfield or something. Do you know who the man is, Sam? No. It's Nathan Jones. Oh,
0: of course.
1: It's Nathan Jones' Southampton. The man man to, to conquer the quadruple.
0: Yeah, that's very true.
1: If anybody, you know, if you, if anybody says how strange was this season,
0: there's your answer. I think it's easy to forget all these people, isn't it? I haven't thought about Nathan Jones in a yeah. long time.
1: Yeah, there's so there's been so many managers. It's so it's it's getting really tough. You know, it's getting really tough.
0: I I looked at that uh, that game uh, a few weeks ago actually. And City actually like tried as well. I think they brought on De Bruyne at time and so I don't know how he did it. That's like his one, his one legacy, I guess. That Southampton was getting him to a <laughs> final, semi-final, did he? Quarterfinal?
1: I don't know. I don't know how far they got in it. But I remember. The, I watched the game. I remember watching the. Is it Mara? The. Um... Oh, I the really Se- I
0: like I like a lot. I don't, uh, he doesn't play, <laughs> but uh, he looks. Cool no, you don't. know,
1: that was the thing as well. Was that he wasn't even playing at the time, and he, well, he was obviously playing that game, but he wasn't playing much for Saints, and he just comes on and, well, not comes on, but he, he comes up with that. It was a great finish as well. That sort of sweeping cross from the right that he just runs onto, wasn't it? From a from a break. Yeah. So sorry. Little special nods to uh, Nathan Jones was required. It is all. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, maybe that'll be enough to get him a job next year. There's going to be plenty of jobs available because everyone's going to be getting fired, I'm pretty sure, because you look at the teams, they're all too good. <laughs> they're all too good to go down, apart yeah. from Luton, obviously. And I don't really know anything about Sheffield United these days, but they've got Ree and Brewster kicking about, so. so I don't know. I don't know if he's any good or not. He's got Champions League medal, though.
0: Yeah, he didn't exactly set the league on fire when he was here last time. Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't. And yeah. I don't
1: think he's like been a one on a one-man mission carrying Sheffield United out of the championship either. So we'll but see. We're,
0: um, but hey, we it's it's two two promoted teams that could have an impact as well, which means there's going to be all sorts of sackings if they do well, because that's like two relegation places. That might be, uh, might be more, more competitive. I'm just assuming that Luton are going to be rock bottom for the season. Sorry to, leave yeah, that.
1: yeah, yeah. But we'll see what they, we'll see what they do. You never say never. And we assumed, we all assumed, Bournemouth would be rock bottom and going down. Even their manager at the time said there was no hope. Apart, of, but the prophecy, Scott Parker's prophecy. Was uh was not to be because of the Messiah called Gary O'Neill, hey? Who'd have thought who'd have thought the Messiah would be called Gary O'Neill?
0: I don't think Scott Parker is as as good as we thought he was, uh in hindsight. And I didn't even think he was good actually. Uh I don't think anyone had high expectations of him, but he somehow didn't meet them. Uh God, do you remember that nine well That feels ages ago. Oh there's, yeah, there's so much so season. Nightmare. I
1: think we need to do a separate episode where we just go back through we each go back through the, the season and, and try and find the sort of roguest thing that you can say but he, you know but you didn't remember this happened and it's like something that's huge but that you'd completely forgotten about did you know there was a World Cup? Uh, I did know, yeah. Yeah, I did. yeah. yeah. We're just checking, I, just checking. Because that could have taken the, the spot of the sort of biggest thing to have happened that we forgot about, you know.
0: It, uh, it feels weird that uh, there was a whole, like, two-month break of this season, though. But I don't remember that happening. What did we do for no. this? I don't remember what happened during the World Cup. When, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really.
1: Do you remember Mbappé's got a hat-trick in the final?
0: Oh, I, We didn't actually talk about the final, actually. And we didn't and didn't win it. We can't do it start now. doing the final. We can't do a, a Premier League end of season review and spend the whole time talking
1: about the World Cup final.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we somehow somehow missed the World Cup final. It's like the biggest biggest game, like the whole football cycle. I was really angry about it. I had a whole thing about the back pass rule that I wanted to talk about because no one cares about the back pass rule. Can I talk about this now? <laughs> Because uh, it was like in it was in extra time and uh, right Ramirez, talk about
1: it now but maybe cut it out and save it for a bonus episode.
0: No, it's really short because Romero okay. is on the on the floor and the ball is on the floor and he's right next to the goalkeeper. So he heads uh, Martinez. It no, no, he he slides his leg along the ground and uses his like thigh to knock it or wow. his knee, to knock it back to Caballero. Uh, not Caballero. God, how old is? It wasn't that long ago, <laughs> but, uh, Martinez. It was pretty long ago, but it wasn't coming, it? <laughs> uh Yeah, and I read the rules. I was really angry about it, so I actually read the pass back rules. And you're not allowed to. It explicitly, it, yeah, it explicitly says you're not allowed to head it when the ball's along the ground back to your goalkeeper and into his hands. And the, you know they just allowed that. Okay, but does like... it
1: explicitly say that you can't thigh it?
0: No. The
1: idea—I understand that the idea of that whole thing is that if you can't head it, you can't die it anyway. But I think
0: it says it's not allowed. It says you're not. It says it uses heading as an example. You're not allowed to move a body part onto the ground, so that you can so hang it on. Back to Sam, it
1: why it. have you been keeping this information quiet for this long? We we, we should be writing in, complaining. <laughs> I want the game replayed. It was a scandal. Yeah. Uh, arguably bigger than the uh, hand of God. I've finally. been
0: silenced for for so long. I finally got the courage to talk about <laughs> to, what's yeah, to, gone wrong. To fight back. This is my my whistle blowing moment. You can have some Argentinians walking up to the door. <laughs> exactly.
1: You know, little tap on the window. You know when <laughs> you know it's you know it's bad when they when they knock on the door but immediately leave the door and start peering through windows. They'll be doing that to you. Shades on, suits. Yeah. yeah. Keep checking in with me every day. Every evening, just send me a little goodnight message, and then uh, I'll know that you haven't been caught by by the Argentinians yet. For
0: I've said too much. For
1: yeah, for spreading for you know for downplaying their their achievements. Well, that was of a nice little World interlude. Oh. No, I've
0: got more more about the World Cup actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you know Norway were in the World Cup?
1: Norway were not in the World Cup. Did you also know that Norway uh, lost last night? Did they? Do you want to know who too? Guess who they lost
0: against last night. Uh, Erdegaard Luxembourg. and Haaland playing. Luxembourg. And they went 1-0 up. Luxembourg. No, it's
1: not Luxembourg. Do you want one more guess? Uh. Uh. Is it European team? It's European because it's the qualifiers. So no. it's important as well. It's if they want to go to the next big event that's happening.
0: The Euros. Armenia won, but that wasn't again that was against Wales. Uh was it Estonia? Mark Poom's Estonia. It was oh. not Mark
1: Poom's Estonia, it was it was Scotland. Which means that Scotland sorry, little little random break in here, but it means that Scotland I'm pretty sure they beat Spain as well. Yeah, they did. So, so Scotland are absolutely flying. Sam,
0: I need to go back to Scotland.
1: Uh, I believe that they are top of their group. Let me let me just check that though. I've uh, I've worked at a Scotland game. Oh, very nice. So Norway were winning 61st minute, Harlem Penn and then Lyndon Dykes 87th minute and McLean 89th minute to make it two one. What a
0: turnaround! It's huge. Lyndon Dykes was still uh, still in there. Good today. Uh, but yeah, Norway have the best two players in the Prem last season. So, and they're not they're not they're not good. How bad are all Norwegians at football apart from those two? That's what I want to know. I don't think they're that bad. I've got friends who coach uh
1: in Norway. I was asked actually to uh to go out there and be uh one of their assistants. So No yeah. Didn't but it didn't materialise um because of commitments back home, you know. But um yeah, there there was a there was an English revolution going on basically at Roa. A Norwegian team. But I believe They're quite interesting because their women's team are in the top division and are professional, but I don't believe the men's team are professional, which is quite fun. Um, But I know a few guys who've been out there coaching the the, the women's youth setups out there, and um, have come back into decent jobs in England, to be fair, uh, in the football world, which is quite cool. Random little Norwegian fact for you. yeah and I believe and correct me if I'm wrong here but I believe this you're not going to correct me you don't know but any Norwegian people who have stumbled across this um, I believe with PE it's kind of done differently okay because because this was why you could kind of work as a full-time football coach is because you'd basically cover PE lessons but you would just be coaching football So, if you had, like, P.E. on the schedule, that would basically be time for you to go and play for your team, your local team, rather than, like, school sport, maybe. But I don't feel like that can logistically be true, so maybe I need to check that fact before I... before I uh, start telling everyone that. But, yeah. Anyway, Norway, good players. Well, they produced Odegaard and, and Haaland, so... You've got to be doing something, right? No? Is that enough? Do you think do you think those two, surely that's enough to get you through a qualifying group of Scotland, Georgia, Spain, Cyprus, right?
0: This thing you've got the uh a midfielder who can create and you've got the striker who could score, and it feels like that's the two things that you want. So now just tell everyone else how to defend. Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know what teams are doing. Are they just sort of getting four men marking marking Holland and then three midfielders on Erdgaard? I don't know. I think we need to watch Norway and see what is going yeah, wrong because
1: I think I think we do. I think we need to do a bit of Norway Norwegian scouting.
0: <laughs> do you know who Norway's third highest scorer is based on players that are in the current squad, according to Wikipedia? Third highest As an international scorer? International goals for Norway. Holland is top. I assume Odegaard's second? No. He's got two. (laughs) Two goals for Norway. He's got two? Two goals. Who is
1: third then? Did I tell you who's second? Tell me who's second.
0: Alexander Sorloff.
1: Okay. Wow. That's where the bar is.
0: Right. Sixteen sixteen goals for
1: Sorlof. How many's Harling got then?
0: Twenty-two. In okay, twenty-four games though. <laughs>
1: okay, he has been putting up a good record.
0: Um I don't know. It's Mohamed El Yanoussi. Oh from Relegated wow. Southampton. Okay. So that's Norway. I hope you enjoyed that's that. That's Norway. Have we have we finished our seasonal review here?
1: But yeah, are we ready to move on to? Oh, actually, no, we've not finished the season review. We've not finished the season review. Uh, I wanted to have a little special mention for the for the Conference League, Sam, uh, because I really enjoyed it. Actually, I didn't enjoy the West Ham fans throwing cups, and it was actually a vape that. Did you see this that cut Cristiano Baraghi's head?
0: No, I was uh... not
1: watching. That's fair enough. It's the it's the Europa Conference League.
0: I was watching Into the Spider Verse Two, across the Spider Verse. Part one. Is that what it's called?
1: <laughs> oh, is that good? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's maybe really good. Okay, I think I'm going to have to go and watch it. Well, I was watching the uh, Europa Conference League. Uh, West Ham fans were embarrassing and causing problems. Uh, not so much in Prague, it seemed like, although there were a few videos of chairs getting tossed around, but I don't think it was
0: really started by them. Any defenestration going on? That's a Prague thing, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, and
1: well I went for a vape pen and it cut Cristiano Baraghi's head he had quite a lot of blood pouring out of his head uh, while he was taking a corner and Cristiano Baraghi, a player very close to my heart for putting together an impressive uh, campaign with Fiorentina for me on Football Manager, he was banging in free. he was basically Trent Alexander-Arnold for me on, on the opposite side he was just providing assists and Scoring direct free kicks. But that's not important. But uh, it was quite a good game. Jared Bone kind of won it, won it out of the death, running through on goal. Um, and it made me think, you know what? Power to the, Europa, to the Europa Conference League. I'm happy about it. With the amount of quality that we have in the Premier League and how sort of deep the quality is, it's quite exciting that you can have a team like West Ham fighting to win a European Cup, you know, uh, I mean, who's qualified for it for this year? Do we know? Is it Villa? Villa. Yeah, Villa in Europe, with you know Emery. I'm I'm, I'm more than happy to get behind that. You know? He's going to win It's an experience. It. And does it mean that Odie Watkins and the sort of, maybe some of the, the bigger players, well, I think they would stay anyway because they've got a good project that they're building. But instead of being cherry-picked and going off to sort of, I don't know, your Spurs or something like that, you could stay in a a club that can actually do something in Europe. I think West Ham are sort of showing that you can struggle in the Prem a bit, but still have a good season. And um, it's quite refreshing. Uh, I I enjoyed it. And it clearly meant a lot to the West Ham fans. Uh, I'm not saying it'll be enough to keep Declan Rice, but uh, I think it's a positive thing all round. And I'm excited to see West Ham in the uh, Europa Conference League next year. And there's going to be a huge amount of English
0: teams playing in Europe. Yep. More trophies is good. It's nice to see new teams win trophies. And uh obviously meant a lot to David Moyes as well. It's just like it's it's wholesome, it's great. Yeah, there's no, absolutely, it's like absolutely it's like the old football that people miss. There's no there's no there's no uh well, I'm not gonna say what there isn't. <laughs> there's all the bad things that people don't like. It's all it's all nice nice teams. Normal teams. We have such a
1: monopoly on domestic Competitions from Man City, it's refreshing, you know. It's it's nice. It gives hope, and we all need a bit of hope, you know. If if you don't have hope with your football team, then you don't have anything. Look at Spurs this season, how they the club's just been destroyed and just destroyed all hope (laughs) from the fans, and they've all just been miserable. And I know that you might revel in that and love it, but we can't just have 19 teams like that while Man City win everything. So, you know, bring
0: it on, I say. Europa Conference League, bring it on. Amen. Uh, okay, so I think we want to talk about Declan Rice now, do we? And t- transfers for the upcoming season. Transfers. I don't know <laughs> I said it wrong. Did you say transfers uh, I, I said it weirdly, yeah. Very uh, yeah, nice. It's time for the transfer roundup, I guess. Do we have a jingle for that? <laughs> uh, well, let's make which should we? Da 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 transfer roundup. Thank <laughs> you. Longer than I expected it would be as well. <laughs> I didn't know when you were going to stop there. <laughs> uh, so I guess Declan Rice is the big. Uh, Big story at the moment, is he? Guardiol? Or is it not that interesting? It looks like Arsenal are the front runners, but there's interest. I think you've
1: had a first offer, well, first offer refused, is it? But maybe that was expected. I don't really know.
0: It's always refused with Arsenal. It happens all the time. We bid, we bid definitely too low. For everyone that gets rejected, you would want it to move quick. Do you like? Well, it was
1: worth a try, and then you get on with the serious stuff. Yeah, because they might accept. You know, you never know. I know. Um, Is it the big story? I, I mean, it. It could be. It could be. I'm kind of pretty disinterested by it, though. To be honest, Uh, uh, and uninterested. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, uninterested, not disinterested,
0: but you are disinterested as well
1: oh sorry, disinterested and uninterested. I thought you were like correcting me or something no, I was correcting
0: um, you but you're you're actually you're, okay this is the grammar the grammar section <laughs> of the podcast uh un- <laughs> un- uninterested means you're bored by it or whatever disinterested means you're impartial or you're unbiased. oh okay
1: okay hey that's good i'll 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 use that. Um yeah I'm pretty I'm pretty uninterested. I'm pretty uninterested. Just I I don't really know why to be honest. I just feel like one team will get Rice, someone else will get Caicedo. They're all going to be big money moves. If Rice goes to City or Arsenal, he'll probably be pretty great because it seems like the the system and structure is is clear and ready for him to Fairly seamlessly merge into, um. And if he goes to like a Bayern Munich, then I'll never hear about him again.
0: <laughs> I don't see why he would go to City though. I think because like Rodri is uh, well, he's he's just about to turn twenty seven. He's got a lot of years left in him. I mean, would Rice be an eight for City? I don't know. It feels it feels like from a footballing point of view that I that Arsenal would be a better fit. Um, it seems like Arsenal feel quite confident about it. So I'd, I'd hope that in the next few days we get some, some news that there's been some progress, but it, it is a bit of a worry when, when City come in.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, could he, could he play as a... Could he play deeper for City? But alongside Roderick. yeah, I guess, I guess like, if they're playing this three-two-four-one
0: mm. in
1: possession, he could. He could. He, I mean, I'm not saying he will. Look, this is the thing with Declan Rice. He probably gives you. He could play as an eight, but would you want him sort of arriving in the box late and like a Gundawan side of things? Probably not. However, you, what he does give you is a is is a ball winner high up the pitch.
0: I see. So Do you, like, you really uh, want
1: that? I don't think so. But could would it be inconceivable for him to play a John Stones role?
0: So that, yeah. So I guess you have Rodri and Rice together, and then you have Stones in Walker's role. Walker seems yeah. like he was leaving. That's annoying because yeah. it it seems like <laughs> there's a good reason for him to go to City
1: though. And then and then okay, okay, okay he might not look. He doesn't even need to play every minute. But it might be that they're looking for more sort of center back center mid hybrids someone who's going to be you know who's got good physical attributes to get around the pitch and and can cover spaces from sort of a back line to a midfield too and can transfer between the two pretty seamlessly that that feels like it could make some logical sense i'm not saying he'd be an inverted fullback but it would kind of be the role or he he'd be performing the roles that Pep is asking his. I I guess the role he's created Pep is like a centre back hype A centre back that becomes a full back, no a, a centre back that plays in full back but actually plays in midfield.
0: <laughs> yeah, but also doesn't doesn't Stones play in the midfield but drops down into centre back as well?
1: Well, exactly. He often splits between the... He, he might split the centre backs, you know, fairly often anyway, and pick the ball up deep. So he could he can join a. He can create a three whilst also creating a two in that sort of early phase of build-up play. He probably ticks quite a few of the boxes in there. It probably makes more sense. I originally was thinking, you know, oh, would you take him in there and play him as an eight? But although you'd get a lot of ball-winning upside, you don't really need it. City. Although there's a huge emphasis on ball-winning early and aggressively and quickly, they do it so efficiently that. If you put a player in there just to win the ball, 80% of the game, you've, you've, you've got it anyway. And I know that you've got it because you've got a system that allows you to win it so well. But it does seem a bit of a waste having like one of those eights be, you know, their, their strongest points be be aerial duels and winning the ball and, and
0: the destructive side of the game yeah. right? Well hopefully Arsenal can get in there early. You sound it depressed like, after that Yeah, <laughs> well Arsenal put in a lot of groundwork is is the hope uh, there's been So hopefully a that wins whole conversation is
1: futile and it's not going to happen anyway and it's all fine Sam
0: Okay, that's great So, uh, so the flip,
1: flip side is where does he then come in for Arsenal?
0: Well as as the six so I think there's going to be a, a view to transition Partey out of the team uh, I've heard I think from a reliable source that um, on Twitter that um, saying that Arsenal have been disappointed in Partey's uh, end of season end of season form for the last few seasons actually like he really consistently has uh, dropped off uh, in sort of the last third of, of the matches in the last third of the season Um he he was really bad, actually, in Arsenal's kind of downturn. And that's why you've seen Jorginho come in and actually people, uh, you know, Arsenal fans have been really happy with Jorginho. Uh, most of them surprised at how good Jorginho has been. Um, so with Arteta showing that he's willing to drop Partey for the very old Jorginho, like it, it would make sense to get an actual big signing that can last years. To fill that role.
1: Yeah, I think also it just gives it, it I think you don't have to write Partey off, but having a very good backup option for him when you've got four trophies, Champions League, you know, probably just means that he can he can be a bit more sustainable for that whole season if he's not playing every, yeah. well, every the- game and
0: there's rumours though that Partey could be out there as well. Um
1: Okay. But then then I think you've got to bring someone in as well as Rice. You don't think Jorginho is the backup for the for the season? Uh I think I saw somewhere that Jorginho might be going somewhere, but
0: Yeah, I saw that as well, but I saw that, that I saw another rumour say that, that <laughs> isn't true. So I mean this is the situation we're in, isn't it? The rumour is like mill, isn't it? Yeah, i I mean look, I'm I'm not I know Jorginho did
1: well in the back end of the season. I'm I'm sort of flip flopping a lot on Jorginho. I don't think I don't think he's fantastic.
0: Sambi Laconca as well is the other option.
1: I don't n I, I think if you've got a lot of I think if you've got a lot of games and and they're games that mean more because it's Champions League now and because you Look, after the disappointments of last season, it would be smart for you to really go and try and pick up a cup, and and build some silverware after what was no doubt a sensational season, but you know ultimately fell short. And I just don't know if, I don't know, I don't, I don't. Jorginho doesn't fill me with much confidence. Really, I think there's still quite a lot of defensive downside and okay there's a very good footballing brain and reading of the game in there but I don't think it's quite enough upside to make it that worthwhile personally with 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 the talents that are out there you know it's it's tough to say maybe with look Arteta's got a clear system and a clear style that is functioning very well and causing teams problems and maybe within that the coaching side of things are good enough where he has a certain limit on his on his sort of responsibilities and what's asked of him, which means that he can perform it at a very high level and he'll be fine uh, I was gonna say what kind of window do you think Arsenal needs do you think uh, do you think you need like a small number of big signings of big money signings paying premiums for players or do you think you need like a a good amount of like maybe smaller signings I'm talking like maybe one to three big deals or like maybe four to five smaller deals
0: what do you think would would be the sort of window you'd be happy with um I feel like Arsenal are at the stage where it's kind of like go for broke I think after last season I think you want to just get these elite players in um we had the season where we signed uh lots of uh, like cheaper players sort of in the 30 million kind of region uh which was a season that we bought Ramsdale and that we bought Odegaard um which was and then Ben White uh which was a, a a really great stepping stone at that point for Arsenal i think arsenal's depth isn't like that bad i think i think arteta has some lessons to learn in like squad rotation uh, because sticking with the same 11 every week just meant everyone got really. People did get burnt out, like Saka uh, supposedly had a recurring injury in the end of the season, which coincided with his drop off in form. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely adding to the squad. I wouldn't want to see many players leave because then we would be in a situation where depth is an issue. I think, like, if Tierney leaves, then there's a bit of worry about the full-back positions. Um, but otherwise, I think I would be happy with Arsenal's depth with, like, you know, two or three big signings. I mean, like, getting someone like Rice in would be absolutely massive.
1: Yeah. I think, like, what you said about the £30 million strike, uh, £30 million, like, foundation players, like your Odegaards and your Ramsdales, that are going to be there for a long time and build a. Project with, and then you add those gems in. It made me think of like how Liverpool did business to get us to the top. So Salah comes in for thirty mil. Mane comes in for about thirty mil. Firmino was about thirty mil. It's all in that sort of price range. They all stay there for six to eight years. Um, within that, there's also you know, other uh, other sort of signings of that similar size, and then. That gets us to like a champions league final that we lose in the same way that you then go close to the in the prem but but miss out and then boom we drop like 75 on van dyke the basically the same on allison and they were our two from the Coutinho money yes but they're like our two ones that then took us to the next level you know um so, I guess it could be a sort of obviously it's never exactly the same and things and and things have changed anyway in terms of price tags and stuff but it that kind of trajectory has clearly worked in the past you can't you can't buy four fifty million center backs like man city can you can't buy you know four sixty to seventy pound fullbacks on top of that like man city can. But you can bring in you know your Ramsdales your Odegaards your salas your Mayonnaise for like a 30 mil, and then it work out obviously that's the most important thing there with those young players that are going to that are at the right age to then go and build something long term and sustainable for your Salibas as well but like adding those sort of gems in there to really finish it off and, and be able to go and win something but we'll see it's going to be interesting there's it's going to be very interesting it's going to be a very tough league as well
0: yeah but, I mean um, you know the Mane at Southampton would not go for 30 mil these days as well uh true. so I think like it, those kind of signings would be like 50 mil now anyway uh at least so um yeah I I don't know I, I feel like adding 50 million pound signings isn't gonna improve that many positions on the pitch I think like the Xhaka position is kind of the only one that would be improved by a £50 million signing so you're just talking about depth at that point which um, I don't know, it's just boring really isn't it, getting depth you want to like, be able to get these marquee signings that have the potential to make your, your first 11 as good as it can be to uh, to be as, as good a city I guess is the, the goal um, yeah,
1: and so Shaq is leaving. So who is going to play that sort of left-sided eight role? Do we know,
0: or is that still? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good question. I think I don't know. Like, if it wasn't after last season, you'd say Smith Rowe could go in there, but um, he's not had a great season, struggling with injuries. Um, it's it's um, because Arteta has been sticking with his lineup so much. Like it's been Xhaka all the time. Like. Fabio Vieira has played there before but that makes your midfield 3 like more attacking. Uh, and more lightweight. F- oh yeah. Yeah, he's got some uh some gym work to do I think for the new season. But like you know, he's definitely a, a a creative player like probably more so than Odegaard actually. Like even he's more inclined to uh create uh so it would it would change the squad it, it's a bit of a loss to lose Jackis so uh, yeah I mean I, I don't disagree with it um, but I think it is really important to sign someone in that role um,
1: yeah it's interesting that it seems like the focus is all around Rice but and look maybe Rice goes into that left sided eight role who knows but then you probably need you know after that party conversation some sort of depth in there or some sort of change up in there but i suppose rice could do both but he can't do both at the same time you obviously have the option to have rice maybe i don't know maybe you go parte and rice and then when you're looking to change it up you can also have smith rowe or vieira coming into that left side role, and rice going deeper um Oh, into a sort of party role but it still seems a little bit light it's like when I'm on football manager building a team and I'm like oh well this is fine because this player can play right back right mid and centre back so I've got all those positions covered and then like two of them get injured and I'm like well hang on who's gonna like Tommy Yasu and Ben White it's like well they can both play right back and centre back it's like
0: well yeah but if one of them's injured someone this, an underrated aspect of Arsenal's season was the Tommy Asu injury because he plays left back as well. But um, I was going to say uh, at Liverpool, we've seen them play four attackers as well, and that could be something that Arteta could do with a with a Rice Partey midfield, uh, hypothetically. Because uh, yeah. uh, there's always been the dilemma that Arteta's not really been playing Trossard that much, even though Trossard's been performing. I mean, his I think only like four players have more assists this season in the league than Trossard. Uh, he he's looked really really good, um, but never like quite been able to nail down a starting spot just because Martinelli is brilliant, Jesus is brilliant. It's like it, it was the thing we said where, when Trossard came in, it's like where where does he actually go in? And this is the great thing about having a versatile player. But uh, you know, I think Arteta needs to be better at rotating the squad in that way.
1: Yeah. Well, especially with the Champions League, I think you it, just, it changes things a bit anyway, you know? But yeah,
0: maybe it'll be a four. Maybe it'll be Trossard, Martinelli, Saka and Jesus all at once. Isn't that exciting?
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I wonder if you could have... If you've got...
0: Because Trossard can play ten. But then it's a four with Odegaard as well. Oh, I, well... Uh, oh, I forgot about Odegaard. I was thinking of Rice Party. Yeah... Odegaard is the 10. It's weird, isn't it? It doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it depends what I guess. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. But people will get injured and
0: there will be a lot of games. I'm glad this isn't my job to uh, decide what to do with Arsenal next season. Uh, It's a bit of a head scratch, actually. I think the defence is fine. But yeah, so the big rumours at the moment as well are that Havertz... Is getting a lot of interest from Arsenal. And um, yeah, not sure if that would be a striker position or a, in, in that left-sided eight. I feel like he could be a great left-sided eight because let's face it, being a striker at Chelsea has not really worked out for him. But all that I'm hearing is talking about him as a striker, which feels a bit weird because he doesn't displace Jesus in that. Uh, and I mean, that would be a terrible front two, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. What, what do you think, Arsenal? Uh, uh, what's what's Edu cooking here? I think
1: the right. I think it's an easy signing for rival fans to kind of laugh at because it's probably going to cost a lot of money, and he has shown the potential to be a bit of a goal vacuum. But if you actually look at what he does have, is fantastic technical abilities, good height and a player that can be moulded to kind of do multiple things or maybe maybe sort of multiple roles across that front line right um and i think he's clearly an intelligent player uh, and was fantastic at leverkusen as more of a sort of 8 or a 10 and if there's anyone right now that you probably want to give that type of player to, it's probably Arteta. I think it's a bit of a match made in heaven with, with Arteta. I think Arteta could do a lot with him. Um, and I think if a free-flowing Arsenal attack, playing with the likes of Erdogan and Jesus, I think he'd I think he'd do very, very well. He might not always be putting up ridiculous goal numbers, but... I think those around him would, would enjoy playing with him and would, would would perform better for it. And I think there's so... That front line for Arsenal occupies so many defenders already. I think he'd really thrive, to be honest. Sort of joining the attack maybe a little bit late and being involved in, in receiving on the half-turn to find... Um, the likes of Martinelli and things like that. If you've got Martinelli wide and like Havertz inside of him and and then you go across one more and it's Jesus and then you go across one more it's Odegaard you go across one more it's Saka. I think you've got a really good technical front line that can cause defences all sorts of issues. Um which was something we were seeing already last season with Shacker in there. I think you put Havertz in there, I think I think it's very good. I think it's very, very good to be honest.
0: Yeah, I I can see it working. Uh, it does feel a bit weird though. It it is it's one of those that's hard to just. Well, I just, I just think if you
1: compare him to Shaka, there are benefits of the fact that Shaka was a centre mid, a box to box centre mid, playing in that role. I think there are some natural defensive attributes and defensive mindsets. That Shaka is bringing in, and even though you're playing him in a more attacking role, so he is popping up with more goals and assists and things like that, you've got some defensive hard wiring in there already, which is which are going to help you stop counters, break at play, win the ball in right areas, read the game well defensively. Havertz probably needs to add that if you're playing him in if he is joining that front five as a
0: left sided eight, would be my only thing on it. Yeah, you need. You need rice in there to uh, add the defensive stability. Maybe it all hinges on rice, and maybe all the the pieces come together that way. Uh, I really want some news, to be honest, because it's you know, if Harvitz arrives, then it's like, ah, oh, okay, great, we know what's going on. I can think about all the the good things, but at the moment, it's like limbo. Yeah, it's it, I I've I'm actually like more supportive of Arteta's signings than I think a lot of people have been like Ramsdale and even Jorginho and all that uh Ben White like, I was like oh this seems great with Harvitz there's like that little bit of doubt but it's because he's been a striker at Chelsea and I mean is he a striker can any striker work at Chelsea there's a lot of questions yeah I
1: think that's uh um, it's its own problem there as well and Chelsea have just been a mess it's very hard to it's going to be hard to, to, to judge anyone let alone a striker in that sort of team with all the change that there has been there um, but I think there's definitely good good potential with it I think it could be exciting I think it could be something to get behind it's tough really because there's such a good sort of core and spine you kind of want to be very choosy about who goes and joins that very fussy about who goes and like earns the right to go and progress it I think, um, which makes it maybe a little bit tough as a fan because you just want to be even more excited. But you're good, so it's it's tough, right? And the players that it's going to cost to... Well, the players that it's going to take to improve that Arsenal team are going to cost a lot of money. And then with that a lot of money comes even more pressure on the signing. Um, because not, not even for yourself, just because fans will... will you know, will hate the success of Arsenal last year and use anything they can to throw it, to throw it at them.
0: <laughs> Something to look forward to uh, next year.
1: Alexis McAllister
0: signed for Liverpool as well. Yeah, thirty-five mil is reported. Yeah, that's uh, that's the same as having Arthur Mello on loan for ten years. You paid three mil for Arthur Mello. Oh, that's what you put in the plan. I see. I mean, which which would you rather have? Ten years. So uh, well, I. I mean, it is 10
1: years, but he didn't play once. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I'm also acknowledging that it doesn't solve issues that we've had. It's going to be very interesting. We, the reports are that we're looking at heavily at Kefran Turam. Um, basically a tall, pretty press-resistant, kind of box-to-box midfielder. Um, but we'll see. Curtis Jones ended the season very well in the left centre mid role. It also coincided with Trent playing inside. Canate um from right back going inside to sort of the centre mid role. Um I don't know, we'll see. I I'm just happy that it looks like we that we've bought a midfielder and it looks like we should be buying more but I don't really know what to expect yet. Klopp likes to be a little bit patient integrating people, anyway. So I think first game of the season, I'd be surprised if there was if it was too different to one of the teams that started the end of last season. Um, but you know what? I am excited for for the coming season. I'm excited to watch the continued development of Cody Gakpo because he's fun.
0: Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited by that. I like Gakpo a lot. Uh, Darwin Nunez should develop as well.
1: Yeah, Darwin Nunes is a is a tough one to work out. I love the raw ingredients that are there. Do I think it fits us? Not really. Could it fit us? Could he fit us? Yes. But how much of our, of our old ways that got us to where we are do we have to tear up to get him to fit us? And what are the what's the payoff upside going to be from it? you know it's my only hesitancy around him he's definitely a weapon he's definitely a he has attributes that can cause people problems and that's never a bad thing to have it's just figuring out what to do with those attributes and how much of the whole team needs to be built around those attributes for them to function
0: you know it isn't calling someone a weapon like calling them stupid
1: yeah, I think so. I did think that as I said it, he's an absolute weapon. But I mean he is he he possesses weapons literally that can cause ball play modern era ball playing defensive players huge issues. You know? You're your are Robin Cox of the world um who are littered throughout the Premier League I don't imagine would have a fun day against Darwin Nunes
0: okay well that was a an unexpected uh, liverpool tangent at the end uh, i'm expecting another prediction of liverpool in first from you uh for next <laughs> season we will cover our predictions from last season pretty soon some some hot takes in there and we'll uh we should try and get together our, our predictions for next season but i guess that depends on on transfers so uh more season reviewing And our predictions come next time, and hopefully we'll have some exciting transfer updates. Let's hope so. Thank you, Toby. It's been good to be back.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be back. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.